you know, for the first year after maybe two years, I thought every time I got depressed or sad, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to end up, you know, in a psychiatric hospital again. And I, and that was so scary to me, you know, being taken away from my children, even though I voluntarily went and I knew something wasn't right. It was awful. You know, it was a really awful, sad time. Um, and, you know, when I, sort of worked on this movie and I sort of wrote about my own experience, I didn't feel the shame anymore. You know, I wished I'd shared it sooner because so many people reached out to me. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. I'm Jennifer Cox. I'm Selima Saxton. I'm Jane Green. So, women, what has made you feel mad this week? Okay, I've got a good one, actually. Um, it's, a, it's a phrase I've stolen, heap eating, or I might have made it up when I've stolen what? it. Say more. Well, I was heap eated. So I was working professionally yesterday and um, had a great idea. I thought it was a fantastic idea, but nervous about saying it was a slightly quirky idea. And wasn't met with like great approval. Then a man sitting next to me, let's call him my colleague, uh, repeated the same idea using very slightly different words. <gasps> and the naughty Hippita got all the credit. <gasps> and, this is appalling. Right. And I kind of, I was in shock. So I didn't say, I think that's what I just said. I just went, yes, yes, great idea. Oh, Gross. Mm. So that what that could you have said? I mean, this needs to be thought through. It, I, it's also shocking when that happens. I've had that happen right. when I was in my 20s and it was my my male boss at Granada Television. He was the head of the PR department. He was a nasty piece of work. Mm. And I came up with this idea that he said was a terrible idea. And then in this meeting, he said my idea and everybody went, well, that's brilliant. And I just, uh, my mouth dropped uh, open. Yeah, that's a heap eating. Yes, yes, exactly. This is obscene. It is so shocking. Repeated. Repeated. It's so perfect. I might have stolen it from somewhere, but anyway, I think it's in the ether. Or did you heolan? Nice. He's a heath. He's a heath. You sheathed it. I sheathed it, yeah. So for me this week, I am. I it was my own feelings that I feel furious with. Okay, but, good. Uh, is that a cop so, out? Is this a cop out? Well, I can't tell, and I need okay. to again do some sort of deep dive at some point because it was something about you know a low, a feeling of low, a feeling of sort of muddle, some stuff that people have put into me, and even after I think most of my life has been in analysis now, and I still get hijacked by feeling. Mm. Therapists have feelings too, it turns out. <laughs> Jane, tell us. Um, mine is really basic. Mine is just um, going to the doctors. I had to have a stress test, which was enormous fun. That's kind of walkie running on a treadmill. Um, well, sorry, as in have. how stressed you are? Or... Well, no, it's your heart. It's making sure that your heart oh, sorry. is... Because mm. I've, I've had a a couple of, of these weird little episodes recently, but I, apparently I'm fine. Passed with flying colours. But oh, the good. thing about those receptionists in doctor's offices, why <laughs> are they such horrors? The nurse was divine. The doctor I, I have a secret crush on. Good. But the receptionist was so offhand and just rude. And 
And that makes me very angry. I just think, oh my God, how, why did you take this job? Like mm. people are coming to the doctor because- I know they, why. Yeah, tell me why. Power. I think sometimes some Mm. people take these kind of jobs because they enjoy human interaction. They're normally brilliant at them. Other people take these frontline jobs because they enjoy little bits of power. It's true. And you know, in the UK now, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but the receptionist has this kind of authority to ask you why you need to come and see the doctor and they love it. Yeah. And it's in front of everyone. It's oh. incredibly public. Yeah, it's it's really intrusive and they mm. absolutely love it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just think, God, I mean, really, what does it take to have a, a smile and just, you know, especially if someone's being nice to you, just be nice back. Yeah. Anyway, that's what made me mad this week. So, um, shall I just, can I can I jump into our guest? Because I'm really excited for our inaugural episode. A spectacular guest. Um, Our guest this week is Sarah Winter. And Sarah Winter is an Australian actress. Um, She's perhaps best known for her starring role as Kate Warner in 24. She also starred in Windfall and as Keitha on Flight of the Concords. She is my friend. She's my favourite karaoke partner. And I love her. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. This is what I have to do now to see you, Jane. I have to. We have to. I know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> actually think we've seen each other since before COVID. Have we? oh no, I, we didn't. We at the last rock. We, no, we've had a couple of what? birthdays. We've had a Halloween, um, which Jane, by the way, has the best Halloween costumes every. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, wow. I take the costume very oh. seriously. I didn't oh, know this about you. Such yeah. as she example. was Lady Gaga one year and then no. the Bee Gees. Yeah. No way. With the whole band. What, all of them. With the facial well, hair. I had a couple of others. Yes. So but we were all we all we all unfortunately showed up as Barry. I think it's <laughs> Barry, the handsome one. So it was a kind of three Barrys. Yeah. Never too yeah. many Barrys. The Barry Gibbs. But you know what? But you know what, Sarah? That's why really we've done this podcast because basically this is how us three are seeing each other. Well, this is how we're making time. Yeah. I thought you meant we're the Gibbs. We are no, the, the also the Gibbs. Gibbs. So, Sarah, I'm going to jump in and ask, what is making you mad right now? Um, I, I think the overwhelming uh, topic that makes me really angry, and I'm really not okay about it, is the um, epidemic of gun violence in America. The idea of, you know, having lockdown drills at school and active shooter drills is just um i don't know that that's what makes me really mad it's it's big it's um sometimes you feel like you know we're losing and we're not uh we're getting there it's very slow um but you know sometimes i get very uh i get very angry um because it's maddening uh, well, it sounds as if you campaign, you you channel your anger back in yeah, and you use like, it like that. I campaign for gun violence prevention candidates. Um, I'm a one-issue voter. Um, I've hosted events. Uh, I've been to countless events. Um, I've set up tables. I've marched. I, I've got my children involved. And um, there are a lot of us, and we will get there. Sarah, I know you know you you you've got a lot to talk to us 
about today in terms of what you've gone through with your mental health. And I'm wondering whether for you actually specifically having a sort of place to put anger now, I mean, obviously no one would ask for this, but equally it's it's sort of retraining our brains to do something differently with this strong emotion that otherwise can really, really get on top of us and start sort of controlling us. Yes, I agree. I think, you know, what's really helpful for me at least is to be a part of a movement where we are, we have members in every state and it feels really good and you feel much more powerful and less helpless when you um, are surrounded by people that feel the way you do. I think you you make a good point about that, Sarah, also, because I think for me, becoming a mum, I really entered a new phase in my life in that one, I'm definitely a lot more quick to anger and quick to express that anger about bigger political and bigger social and economic issues, environmental issues. Um, I'm a much more engaged human being, I think, these days, post my three kids. (laughs) I feel things in a way that I would have been a lot more apathetic about, perhaps, you know, a decade ago. Whereas now I'm much more of a call to action, even like silly little stuff, you know, just, I don't know, about the local environment. Did right. anybody mm. follow politics before they had kids? I mean, I remember Hardly. saying to exactly. boyfriend, I remember really embarrassingly just saying, I'm completely apolitical, don't understand any of it, don't try and talk to me about politics. Right, right. <laughs> Whereas now I'm much more strident. It's odd. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's natural to, you know, take more of an interest in just – Food labeling, that's not something I ever cared about, like food labeling or, or you know, even the environment, you know, and, and it's a pity because we have, we have fucked the planet, you know, for our kids. And that's, you know, something that is, um, you know, at the forefront of my brain. But uh, I, I, I've always followed politics. I come from a political family, you know, in Australia. They're not, you know, known in America, but I, my grandmother was the first Lord Mayor um a female in a female woman. in Australia that was what? ever elected to to that um, level of office. So um, it's something that was talked about at the dinner table since I was a little kid. You know, um, political talk, arguments, debate. Um, uh, so yeah, but I think you know, becoming a parent, it's, it takes on a whole different thing. You know, we want to leave the world better for our kids. And, you know, it's a struggle right now. It's, it's a challenge. You know, we're up against, you know, what seems like these walls. Um, and, and also, look, for me on a day-to-day basis, you know, I, I personally struggle with having a 13-year-old where, who, who makes me, uh, let's, let's say, who makes me have to kind of work out how to direct my anger in a positive session Jenny and Jane knows you know I've had a lot of arguments about manners recently and how we talk to each other as humans and respect but equally you know I'm trying to not be too cool but not be the uncool mom either and so for me anger is present on a real micro level on a very everyday basis just managing these little monkeys of mine you know <laughs> on a on a very uh, as you know that as well as the bigger anger of of life yeah, I think um, civility is something I try and practice. Yes, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm. I hope I'm a kind person. I feel like I have compassion, but you know, with three sons, it's. Uh, I, I really emphasize, you know, 
it, it's not cool to to be unkind. Um, and cruelty is not uh, acceptable. I tend to sort of get angry about these issues with my friends. Um, I don't ever want my kids to be alarmed. Um, if they see me out of control, mm. which anger can look like, sure. um, I think that would unsettle them. Um, the times where I have, I-, I cry in front of my kids. I, I yeah, really crying is normal, okay, and healthy. Right. And is that how you express strong emotion sort of within the family? Yeah, I think it's okay to get frustrated and to feel things. And, Mm. um, you know, as an actor, you know, we were talking about this uh, just the other day. You have to be open to Mm. to be able to feel and emote and, and, and perform. And I just think, you know, I think when children see you uh, be vulnerable um, it's okay. I teach my kids, you know, I make sure my boys know about periods and even now menopause. I I, I want right. to normalize this conversation and these words and, you know, these things that, you know, I would never have talked about with boys when I was a teenager. It's like, you know what? G- girls get their periods. They get very upset perhaps once a month. Um, uh, it's really hard to play sports. Yeah. Um, be patient, be nice, be kind, because this is not something you have to ever deal with. Can I ask a question? Because you're also a single mum. And I I was a single mum for about a minute. I mean, and that's not true. I was actually a single mum for three years um, before I married Ian. And it is it is unimaginably hard. I mean, I I it it is the hardest, hardest thing in the world. I was very angry. Um, I was very overwhelmed and and that came out as anger how do you find it overwhelming and and if you do how you because you you talked about self-care earlier so how do you how do you look after yourself I um uh thanks um I um I'm still waiting for my Ian I adore Ian and I think he's yeah I'm very inspired by your marriage and and how you found each other and and your family and your Mm -hmm you know, merging your children and, and you've created such a beautiful life for yourself. So I'm very inspired by that. And, um, thank you. uh, I, I, uh, you know, I think at first I felt very sorry for myself and I felt very, you know, I was very sad and that's okay. Um, I was angry. I felt wronged. I -hmm. felt abandoned. It felt very unfair. Um, you know, staying in a marriage and, you know, I grew up with in divorce, um, raised by one parent. I wanted my kids to have two parents and have a house. And that was my dream. That was my dream to have big family dinners and, and, and family vacations. And I really sort of mourned for a long time that, you know, dream being crushed. Do you feel yeah. as if that, sorry to interrupt, do you feel as if that was a sort of internalization of the anger? So it was almost, it clicked into a kind of melancholic state in you? Um, I think, you know, at first, the anger I realized, you know, when you're angry, you can get into this false sense of feeling that that makes you strong. Mm, I am angry, very, I am strong, yeah. I am powerful, I'm not going to take any shit. And at least for me, I realized that was actually harming me and it was damaging because it's, it took all my energy to be angry. 
And it took every ounce of my being to stay in that state of rage. Mm. And I couldn't mother my children. I couldn't be kind to myself. I couldn't be a good friend. I couldn't focus on work or getting work. And I made a conscious decision to let go of the anger and sort of, um, you know, focus focus more on the love of my children as being that was more important than my rage against my ex husband or mm. how we broke up. Um, and it was really, I'm really grateful for that because I see, I've seen in other couples just the holding on to the rage and the and the and the vengeance and the and it takes away your ability to be a good parent or be a happy person. And I just, life is short, you know. We're here for a second and. How did you do how did you do that? Because it it's I agree with you completely. And anger is so destructive when when you let it out. But but making the choice to not do that and actually then not feeling that, where did those feelings go? How how did what did you do with them? You know, I think I I felt them, I had them, and I moved through it. I didn't deny myself feeling angry for a time, but it had to be finite. I couldn't right. live with that. It was eating me alive. It was literally, and it ate me alive, but I thought this is keeping me alive. You know, it it, mm. it, it, um, it gives you a false sense of, you know, being heroic and triumphant. I'm not going to take any shit from anyone else. And it, and it just, um, I could see I was going down a really bad path of, um, of anger. And, you know, I don't want my kids to see that. I want, I want them to, I want them to see I'm okay. And I am okay. I'm, I'm really, um, I'm good. Uh, And also, Sarah, I really congratulate you on recognizing that anger can really give us false momentum. That really struck a chord with me, actually, because I've had so many moments in my life where I felt quite self-righteous, a kind of Joan of Arc almost, or riding on my horse, or I don't know if she rode on a horse, but, you know, a kind of gallant kind of knight of the realm. But yeah. it's a it's a really great observation there. I think many of us have had that point in our lives where we feel fueled, but actually right. it's, as you quite rightly say, it's eating us up. It's not yes. a fuel. Right. Yes. You, you stay in that state. It's okay to have it and it's sure. okay to feel it. Sure. But if it, it, but if it takes over everything, it's, um, I don't know, it's, I just don't poison. It's poison, it. right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. I I think I wonder and I'm I'm going to touch a little bit on on your this movie that you made this very powerful movie called A Mouthful of Air um and and you know all the interviews with you at the time sort of said you 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 suffered postpartum psychosis and survived to tell the tale um and and it's kind of a different kind of mad women are mad i mean you you went through a different kind of mad after you had your twins you had your lovely oscar and then you had your twins and i i wonder if you can speak a little to that because i i guess the thing i'm wondering about that is did your experience through that do you think help you manage your emotions today because you seem you strike me during this conversation as somebody who's very much it, you're almost able to step outside yourself and watch your emotions yeah. and, and then know what to do yeah, with them. I wonder if, if yes, mm. if mm. if that experience perhaps helped you learn to do that. Oh gosh. Um I got teary for a second. <laughs> um oh. I well, for a very long time, I was deeply ashamed 
her for getting sick, for having postpartum depression, um, feeling like I wasn't a good mother, I couldn't be a present mother. Um, I was hospitalized um, and I and it took a long time to recover. Um, and then you recover and you have these sort of aftershocks you know, where you, you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing okay again. No, I am doing okay. But you always worry, like, am I going to, you know, for the first year after maybe two years, I thought every time I got depressed or sad, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to end up, you know, in a psychiatric hospital again. And I, and that was so scary to me, you know, being taken away from my children, even though I voluntarily went and I knew something wasn't right. Um, I checked myself in voluntarily, um, it was awful. You know, it was a really awful, sad time. Um, and, you know, when I sort of worked on this movie and I sort of wrote about my own experience, I didn't feel the shame anymore. You know, I wished I'd shared it sooner because so many people reached out to me, so many women, several husbands, mm. um, people who have seen their child or their sister or a friend go through it. And, them sharing their stories made me feel less alone and uh, and also made me realise just how common this is and how right. little people talk about it. And um, I don't even know if I answered your question, Jane. No, you, di- you um, did. Can, well, you're, can you're I- talking about the experience you went through and I, I think mm. the question was, do you think that that having your emotions, well, they didn't just come to the surface, they exploded out of you. Do you think that having that experience, which was clearly enormously traumatic, but also perhaps healing in some way, is has that has that helped you with dealing dealing with emotions today? Yeah. Um, I felt very healed by sharing what I went through. And I really thought for a second, I'm going to share this and I'm going to get a lot of criticism and a lot of people will say, I'm a horrible person. How could you feel this? How could you say that? How can you admit to that? Um, And not one person said that. I think what is so extraordinary about you having shared your story so honestly, so beautifully, is that many, many of us who, who have entered motherhood, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? The minute that you and I spoke, I was crying a bit as I started to say that some of your words really spoke to me. And I was fortunate enough not to go through postpartum psychosis, but I I did have um, dips, depression, or I did struggle in the early years of bringing up my my three kids. And you might have been totally submerged at one point. I was certainly underwater, (laughs) dipping underwater a little bit for a while. And it's incredible that you have shared this because none of us feel quite so alone, right? Well, it's, and it say. sounds like you found your voice yeah. and you helped other women to do the same. Well, that that is because I had a group of women around me who did not let me die. I had a group of friends that were brave enough to intervene. Um, plenty of other people, maybe even I, would be afraid to step over the bounds to butt in. This is a very uh, personal situation. It's a family problem. You don't want to overstep. I had a group of women in my life who overstepped and thank God because I I didn't realize how how bad I had unraveled. You know, you never think when you're losing your mind, you never think, ah, 
I'm losing my mind. That's why, <laughs> that's why I'm losing. That's why I think, you know, it's just, everything just seems very real. Um, so I didn't get there on my own. I was lucky to stand on plenty of shoulders. Um, uh, so, so to be clear, to be clear with that, um, I think, you know, I try and sort of tell people to watch out, watch out for your neighbor. If she feels yeah. like, it seems like she's alone or if you meet someone at the park or if your sister seems to, you know, even just the basic challenges of having a newborn, lack of sleep, not knowing where the hell things are, how do I nurse, what's going on, you know, can be enough to to really um, bring on some depression or some sadness, you know. It sort of starts with the baby blues, then there's a postpartum, you know, depression, and then there's postpartum with psychosis, which yeah, yeah. I- it's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing this with yeah, us. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, oh. And we just wondered, just as a sort of kind of a wrapping up question, <laughs> it's difficult after you know all of this, um, this uh, the the emotion that's been so harrowing, but how how do you nowadays find calm and how do you find happiness now? I, I love my sofa. Yes. So much. <laughs> Me too. I love my cat sitting on my lap, watching a good TV show and the TV show doesn't have to be good. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's better if it's trashy, right? It's a piece of trash. Yeah. Um, Those are the best. I love when my boys are connected with each other. Sometimes I'll sit back and they're all in the kitchen talking together about something. It doesn't matter what it is. I, those moments are so, I treasure them so much. Um, And, you know, I guess the silver lining of divorce is you do get some alone time, you know. Uh, So when they're with their dad, I do get to, um, I don't have to make dinner for three people. Mm. Oh, I great. Think. So you can like eat standing up out of the fridge. That's always my yeah, dream. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. But it's it the sink, you know, and really yeah. enjoy just being with you. Yeah. And when mm. they're here, it's we sit at the table. Manners are important. There's a knife and a fork and a napkin. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't suffer um, if I feel like I need to, you know, have a, have a bathroom moment on my own. Yeah, I'm good with that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I give myself permission to feel good. We are so glad to hear that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank yes. you and so Sarah, much, Sarah. Oh, thank you. And sh- honestly, share. This is why we're doing this podcast because exactly sharing these stories is so helpful because mm-hmm. we all need to hear that we're not alone. And thank yeah. you. You are a beautiful soul. Thank yeah, you. Oh, you are. You are, Sarah. Such a but this, is just, this has been so great. I love it. I've just loved talking to you guys, and I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. Mm-hmm.